2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 11 and 12. Wherefore also, we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness, and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word. And Father, thank You for Your power. Thank You for Your grace. Father, thank You for giving us access to You in prayer. Father, help us this morning as we study this passage. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, the first wave of attack in any conventional warfare is to cut off communication. If you can cut off communication, then the troops can't understand what they're supposed to be doing, and it, and it messes people up, messes up the battle plan. Do you know what Satan's chief attack on us is? It's not Hollywood. It's not anything like that. It's keeping us too busy to pray, distracting us from the source of our power. How many of you would say, you would testify right now, that it struck you sometime this week that you hadn't prayed enough. That came across you, your, your mind, your thoughts. I hadn't, I hadn't prayed enough. And most of the time what we do when that comes to us is we begin praying. That's good, right? What's the best, what's the best remedy for not praying? Praying. praying, amen? And you can do that at any time, in any place. What a wonderful thing that is. We don't have to go to a temple to pray. If you're born again, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. I love that story where the deacon came to the preacher and said, Pastor, the children are chewing gum in the sanctuary. And he said, no, the sanctuaries are chewing gum in the auditorium. Amen. We have the Holy Spirit in us. If we're born again, we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. And we have access to the throne of God through the Lord Jesus Christ any moment of any day, every moment of every day. And so we've got to understand that when times get hard, we pray. When times aren't hard, we pray. Anytime. We're supposed to pray continually. Isn't that right? Well, how in the world can you do anything continually? How can you do that? It's simply a constant awareness of the presence of God. You know, I, I like having Laura with me. And she might not think that I'm enjoying having her with me because... She generally has more words than I do. Right? They say the average woman speaks something like 10,000 words a day. The average man speaks 5,000 words a day. It's something like that. So man gets home. He's already used up all his words for the day. You know, and a woman's just getting warmed up. But it's interesting. I, I just like being with her. That, that awareness that she's with me. There's a comfort to that. That's the idea of prayer. It's that constant awareness of the presence of God, the acknowledgement of Him in your life and being present with Him. Well, what's the context of this passage? The Apostle Paul is praying for the believers in Thessalonica, and he's, he has some specific things that he's praying for for them. Why is he praying for them? Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, 
and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you and all the churches of God for your patience and faith. Now, right there, everybody look up here at me. Now, if somebody is writing a letter to you and that's what they were saying, you're going to be thinking, sweet, I'm doing good, right? How many of you would like for someone to write a letter to you that was saying that? Would you raise your hand seriously? Wouldn't that be awesome? Look at the next words. So that we ourselves, verse 4, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. I don't want that letter anymore. Uh, you know, I, I want to be able to be the one praying for the people who are enduring the tribulations. Would you all agree with that? You know, call me carnal, call me worldly. I don't like suffering. I don't like persecution and I don't like tribulation. Why were they in suffering and persecution and tribulation? Look at what it says in verse 5. Which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. They're suffering for the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, the kingdom of God, it's very simple. The kingdom of God is the kingdom that the Lord establishes in you when you're born again. We've already talked about the fact that we are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us when we're saved. That's the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ said the kingdom of God is in you. Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness isn't ours. That comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have been forgiven of our sin. Amen? That's, that's why we're free. And these people in Thessalonica were suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why they were suffering. They were willing to take a stand in their community when it wasn't popular for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Does anybody here believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Any of you? We are taking that stand, and some of you are suffering because you're taking that stand. Others of you are suffering right now simply because you live in a fallen world. I was thinking this week of people in our church that are sick and are struggling, whether it's cancer or some other kind of sickness. I'm thinking about some of our, our faithful people that are just getting old and their minds are going. And that's not really that bad for the person who's experienced it, I don't think. But for the families around them, it's so difficult. My own father, you know, he, we watched a movie while he was here with us last Christmas on the night, on the evening, the next day, it must have been Christmas Eve. Then on Christmas Day at lunch, we had watched that movie Elf. And so at lunch the next day, he said, yeah, I watched a movie a while back about a six foot four elf. Can you believe that? Yeah, Dad, that was last night. Oh. And, you know, when that starts happening, when those things start happening, and then it gets worse and you realize, I'm going to need to care for this person. Well, that becomes a burden on you, doesn't it? And it's not a burden because I think all of us are willing to give anything for our parents, what they did for us. Would you all agree with that? That's not the burden. Sometimes it's the burden getting them to understand they need the help. There, there are, there's trouble. There's trouble. 
you know, it doesn't matter where we are. Some of us, our children are entering into the teen years. And, you know, Laura is just, Lydia is just so rebellious. Pray for us. She, no, that's not true. Do you hear the crowd? Oh, don't say that. That's ter- If you knew how mean she was to me, you wouldn't think anything of this right here. No, but, but those of us who have young people entering into the times of life where they're making decisions, how many of you would agree that's a good time to pray? Right? I think everybody in this room is at a point where it's time to pray. So how do we do that? How do we do it? And does it work? Well, Ryan Presswood is here today. If you have prayed for the Presswood family and for Ryan, would you raise your hand? I want him to see this. <laughs> so much. We, we've prayed for him every day. I'm just about to start bawling right now. We've, we've prayed for him every day. There's a miracle of God sitting back there. Prayer works. Now, the answer to prayer isn't always the answer that we want. In Ryan's case, it has been. Praise God. Amen? Sometimes the prayer isn't answered the way that we would want it to be answered. So let's look at this text. Let's go through the scriptures and let's look again at how to pray, why to pray. And here's the overriding thing that I want you to remember. This thought, God is good. Can we all say that together? God is good. Let's say it again. God is good. He is good and He does good and that's all that He can do. Everything that He does is good. Okay, so let's look at this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and let's read these verses again, verses 11 and 12. We saw the context. They're in persecution and tribulation. So now we understand this prayer a little better. So let's read verses 11 and 12 again. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This, these two verses are so full. We could spend a month just unpacking this. But let's try to do some of it this morning. Here's his first request that he's praying for for these people. That God would count you worthy of the calling. Do you see that? Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. Now, wait a minute. What is the calling? Is anyone worthy of salvation? Well, that can't be what he's praying for. Can you imagine me praying for Frank? Took me a second, but I got it. It's all right. Imagine me praying for Frank that God would make him worthy of salvation. If you know how bad he was, you'd know. I can't believe that this, he's got this, he's got a better beard than I do. How old are you? He's 16. That's not right. Okay, so for me to pray for Frank that he would be worthy of salvation... That would be me praying for something that God cannot do. You're saying God can't do something? God can save him, but he has already sinned. 
He was born in sin. None of us are worthy of salvation. So that's not the calling that's being spoken of. What is the calling? The calling is to suffer for the name of Christ. The calling is to suffer for the kingdom of God. Go back to verse 4. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulation that you endure, that you endure, which is a manifest, it's plain, visible token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. The calling is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in a generation that doesn't want it. We are worthy servants of Jesus Christ when we proclaim the message of the kingdom of God, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you say, how can I do that when I am distracted by the persecution? That's why we need the Spirit of God. That's why we need the power of God. Do you know when the best time to share your faith is? When people see you in trouble. How do you respond in trouble? The world is watching you. Now, Tammy won't like this, but she was a lighthouse in that hospital. Of course, the doctors and nurses were all afraid of her. But she was a lighthouse sharing her faith in that time. I couldn't believe it because I would go, and in my mind, I'm thinking, how do I prepare her for Ryan's death? How do I, how do I prepare Terry for Ryan's death? And every time I would go in there, because the doctors were all saying, you know, this is tough. This is a tough situation. One of our doctors even said, you know he's probably not going to make it. First of all, Terry and Tammy weren't hearing a word of that. And her faith was so strong through every bit of it, but not only her faith that God was going to heal him, but her faith in the gospel. Because she wanted everybody around her to know that they can have the hope that we have. That's exact. I had no idea the press were. Thank you for coming and being my illustration today. I really appreciate that. She's, she's going to get me after the service for that. But I had no idea that they were going to be here. But that is the perfect example of the prayer request and the believer living their faith in the middle of the trouble. That's being counted worthy. That, that's what that is. So now... There's nothing you can do to be counted worthy of salvation. Salvation's of grace. It's not an issue of whether or not you deserve salvation. The issue is that we must walk worthy of the grace that we have received. So how is that going to happen? Look at verse 11 again. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. And look at what it says. And fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness. Fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness. You know, sometimes a situation comes into your life that they're honestly, listen to what I'm saying. A situation can come into your life that there is no good thing in it. And there's nothing good that can come from it. 
Now, I know, listen, the Bible says all things work together for good. And we know that all things work together for good. But you can be in a situation where you're saying there is no way good can come from this. I'm not going to give illustrations of that. But how many of you can imagine some situations that I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. What do we do then? Look what the Bible says. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the what? The good pleasure of His what? Goodness. I'll tell you what. When you're in that dark place, when you are in that dark time, you've got to believe in the goodness of God. Is God good? Is His will for you good? Yeah. But there's another component to this. We live in a fallen world. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that everything that happens to you is good. When you're in that dark place where you're saying, this is not good, there is no goodness that can come from this. Why does that happen? We live in a fallen world. Don't miss this. Nothing in this world is as God intended for it to be. Do you all understand that? This world is fallen. The Bible says the world, after the flood, the world that then was perished. You say, wait a minute, where's the sovereignty of God in that? Well, we have to understand the sovereignty of God. God created freedom. God created this world. He created His beings with the ability to obey or disobey. That disobedience caused the destruction of the world that was. Do you all understand that? And I understand, it's hard. Wait a minute, if God's in control, uh, I know that uh, Andrea, where's Andrea? Are you here? Yeah, Andrea Smith has been teaching the, the kids in her class ethics. And the discussion that they've been having is where did evil come from? If God's in charge, where did evil come from? Well, the Bible tells us that God didn't create the evil. God is not the author of sin. Do you all believe the Word of God? How many of you believe the Word of God? The Bible says that God is not the author of sin. Now, how many of you believe that sin exists? All right, so if sin exists, that must be contrary to God's will. Would you all agree with that? It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Sin is... Evil in this world is not the will of God. It is contrary to God's will. And we understand from the book of 1 John that sin is any violation of God's law. Is that right? And He loved us so much that when this world fell, knowing that it would fall, He sent His Son into it. He loves us so much. But we must understand that we're in, when we're in that dark place where what's happening is not good, don't believe that God has called it good. So let me make sure that you get what I'm saying here. That evil that you're in, that situation that is not good, sometimes we have a conflict. We don't know how to pray. 
And here's what we think. Well, obviously, God thought this was good because it's happening. No. No. We live in a fallen world. And listen to the way that God delivers us from this fallen world. We die. Or He comes and takes us out in the rapture. Y'all understand that? The only way that we are delivered from the evil of this world, ultimately, is through death or through the rapture when He comes back to get us. Otherwise, we're living in a fallen world. How many of you this week experienced some of the fallen world? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. Does God not love you? Of course He loves you. That's why He prayed for His disciples that the Father would not take them out of the world but keep them in it. Listen to what he said. And protect them from the evil. John 17. Check it out. God prayed for... God the Son prayed to God the Father that while we are in this world evangelizing, doing His work, that He would keep us from the evil. So now, when that that is bad, evil, enters into your life, here's what we have to remember. Look at what it says. Verse 11, Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness. So here's what we have to understand. What then is this good pleasure? How do we understand what that... How is He going to fulfill His good pleasure? Well, if we understand this. When you see that good pleasure in the Bible, that's God's will. That, that's... Good pleasure is God's will. Let's track that down, try and figure it out. Look with me at uh, Luke 12.32. Luke Look at verse 31. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When we repent of our sin, we get the kingdom of God. That's His good pleasure. He wants you to have that. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. So what has He made known? The mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, with he, which He hath purposed in Himself. So He purposed in Himself His will, which is what? His good pleasure. God's will 
and His good pleasure are the same thing. So now let me ask you a question. And don't answer out loud, because sometimes we answer in the context of what we've heard. Don't answer out loud. I'm going to ask this question. Does God's will always happen? Another way to ask it, is everything that happens God's will? Of course not. Of course not. His will was that everyone keep the law. Did everyone keep the law? No. It is His will that none perish. Is there anyone that's going to go to hell? Yes. Jesus Christ prayed over Jerusalem that they would come to Him, but they wouldn't. They rejected Him. So we've got to get past this understanding that if I have a car accident, somebody hits me, uh, uh, something bad happens in my life, well, that must have been God's will. No, God's will is that you trust Him through it. God's will is that while you live in this world and in this darkness and in this trouble, that you bring glory to Him as a lighthouse of His grace in the middle of this horrible place of darkness. That's what God's will is. It wasn't God's will that any of this sin happen. But He didn't want a bunch of robots. God could end it all. God could end all the pain. He could end all the suffering. He could end all of the evil like that. Of course, that means that everybody who's alive today that hasn't trusted Him is going to go to hell. His grace, His mercy requires that for their sake, for the lost people's sake, that we endure hardness for a little while longer. That, y'all, does that make sense? That's where we are. That's the world that we live in. His will, His good pleasure in His will. And now for you, look at His prayer again. Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness. All the good pleasure of His goodness. As Paul prays for these Thessalonians, he prays, that you might fulfill or that God might fulfill the goodness of God's will in our lives. Now, let me, let me show you this. This is so cool. God's will for you is always good. God's will for you is always good. Now, it might not seem like that to you, I remember I had a girl that I thought I was going to marry. And she didn't have the same idea. No, who could reject this? You know what I'm saying? Come on. <laughs> a lot of people. And man, it broke my heart. My buddy, Mike Azinger, he called me that day. She had broken up with me the night before. He called me the next morning. We were supposed to play golf or something. And he said, Jimbo! And I said, yeah, what's up? He goes, man, you sound like Julie just dumped you. <laughs> yeah, she did. And Mike, Mr. you know, if it was me, I would have said, oh, man, that's awful. Or, you know, I would have you know, made a joke about it or something. Mike was real tenderhearted. And he said, 
Man, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. That's where I learned that verse. Mike said that to me after Julie dumped me. I thought she was God's will for my life. But Laura was God's will. Laura brought her. Wait a minute. God brought Laura. (laughs) And... She is so much better for me than Julie ever would have been. Julie, if you're actually listening to this on the Internet or something, sorry, you lose. Um, She was so much better for me. So a lot of times I don't know what the will of God is. But how many of you think God knows what his will is? You think? And so God's will is always good. Let's, Let's see if there's a verse that tells us that. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Anyone who's been through discipleship and many others have these verses memorized. But let's look at them in the light of what we're just discussing. Not Laura and Julie, but God's will. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that very similar to what Paul's saying to these people in Thessalonica? Man, they had to present their bodies a living sacrifice because they might be dying, literally. Look at what it says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove... What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? So here's what we understand. God's will is always good and perfect and acceptable. Isn't that good? So we have to understand this. So whatever it is that God is telling you to do, willing you to do, revealing in Scripture for you to do, regardless of the darkness of the age or the darkness of your particular circumstance, God's will for you is good and it's perfect. You've got to get that. God, how could you do this to me? What? Anything God does is good for us. It's perfect. How does that fit in with cancer? The cancer is a result of the fall. If sin hadn't entered into the world, there would be no cancer. For as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so then death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. The reason we get sickness is because of sin. Every problem any of us ever experience is a sin problem. Is sin God's will? No. So everything good that comes to us is from God. Everything that is truly evil is because of sin. But remember, there are things that we think are evil that are actually good. And it's what God's doing in our lives to bring us to a place of usefulness for Him. All right, let's go back. 
Look at it, look at First Thessalonians chapter four. I was going to spend some time on identifying from Scripture what God's will is, but we'll do that again another time. We do that in discipleship. Look at First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four and verse one. Now remember what's going on. First Thessalonians, the apostle Paul had been with the church at Thessalonica for a short period of time, and then he had to leave. But he had grounded them in the faith before he left. And he wrote this book to them because some people had uh, been giving false information that the, that the rapture had already taken place. So that's what 1 Thessalonians 4 is about. Okay, And this is written to the church in the last days. The rapture, the second coming of Jesus Christ is referenced in every chapter of First and Second Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, he's writing to help establish them. 2 Thessalonians, he's writing to correct error and to encourage them in tribulation. But let's go back to chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Furthermore then, we beseech you, that's, that's beg, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. This walking worthy, that you would walk worthy or you'd be called worthy of your calling, that, that worthiness of the calling, that is how we walk. That's how we live our faith. We behave in a way that matches what we profess to believe. When does that become the most evident? When trouble comes. When trouble comes. You know, there are, there are people who claim to be believers. They profess to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they profess to be walking in His power, and then trouble comes and the marriage ends. Trouble comes, a child dies, and they walk away from the Lord. A, a family member gets sick, and the, they completely... They, they walk away from everything that God has told them to do. See, when we're in the persecution, that's what Second Thessalonians is about. When we're in persecution, that's when we walk worthy of the calling. And that way to walk was taught to us before the trouble came. That's First Thessalonians 4. He's teaching them how they ought to walk, how they ought to live. And, and so we learn that and we receive it, the question is, do we really believe what God has said? Because how many of you know that when trouble comes into your life, you're supposed to trust God? How many of you know that? Yeah. Knowing it and practicing it when the trouble comes, those are two different things. Uh, in, in my own life, Laura and I, when our son Riley... When he was four and a half months old and he died. Do you know what? Looking back on it now. Now, how many of you would say that was not a good thing? Yeah, that's the way that I would say it, too. Now, the good part of it is Riley's with God. You know, and I'm going to see him again. But let me tell you what's wonderful. I'm not a good Christian. Wait a minute, that's not wonderful. I'm not a good Christian. I'm not a good man. Um, but 
God had saved me. He had allowed me to receive some of His Word, some of His instruction. And so what happened for me, when that happened, was my immediate response was to cry out to God. To run to my Father. To run to the one that I know loves me. You say, Jim, is that because you're such a great Christian? No, I already told you. That's not it. How did that happen? How did it happen that when the darkest of times, for me, the darkest thing I've ever experienced and ever hoped to experience, and Laura, I'm sure, would say the same thing, when that happened, why did I run to Him? When we've met other couples who have gone through that same type of a situation and it destroys them, what happened with us? We'll go back to 2 Thessalonians and I'll show you. Wherefore also, verse 11, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness. Now look at what it says. And the work of faith with power. You see, what happened with us was in that darkest of time, the goodness of God was powerful in us. See, and again, this is not Jim Alter testifying about what a great man of God I am. That's not it. Because in that time, I didn't have anything. How have you been to a place where you've got nothing? You've got no answers. You've got nothing to say. Emotionally, you're dead. How many of you have been to a place like that? So it wasn't an act of the will. It was God's goodness being powerful in me. How do we get to the place where that happens? Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have experienced that power in you when you had nothing left? I want to ask you when it happened, but you've experienced that power in you when there was nothing left. That's God. That's not man. That demonstrates the supernatural nature of the Holy Spirit of God that's in you. How does that happen? Well, look at Second Thessal or First Thessalonians, chapter two. Look at verse eleven. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse eleven. As you know, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Okay, now look. What he's done is he has... This is what the teacher did. He exhorted. That's challenging and motivating people to the truth. And then look at what it says. How we exhorted and comforted because after you exhort and you tell them the way they're supposed to be, then you've got to comfort them when they mess up. Isn't that what being a parent is? Isn't that right? And charged, what is that? And charged. This is, you can do this. So, Jacob, this is what I expect of you. This is what's expected. Anything less is failure. This is what I expect. Amen? And some of you with mercy just said, oh, oh. 
Well, that's where, you, that's where this is as a father. This is a manly thing to do. This is what a man does. This is the way a young lady behaves. This is what is expected. Amen? Is that right? Okay. Not for sissies. Look at verse 12. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto His kingdom and glory. Alright? So, how do we prepare for that darkest of time? Well, somebody has to tell us what's expected of us. There's an expectation of behavior, of walk, of discipline, of structure. There's an expectation of that. Is that right? How in the world is that ever going to happen? Look at the next verse. Verse 13. For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Now look at what this says. Which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Okay, so here's what's going on. These people had been taught the word of God. They'd been taught to understand the word of God. And then they'd been taught how to live the word of God. Do you see that from the, t- from the text? That's what's going on. But then the people had to do something. What did they have to do? They had to believe it. They had to believe that this truly is the word of God. They had to really believe that this is the word of God. And then it will effectually work in you. Well, how does that happen? It can only happen through the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God has to do that. When you believe His Word, when you genuinely believe His Word, the Holy Spirit makes that Word of God effectual in your life. Now, don't mistake me here. The neo-Orthodox position is that the Word of God is only really the Word of God when it speaks to you. That's not what I'm saying. God's Word is always God's Word. Amen? But it works in you when you believe it. How does that happen? Okay, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 17. Ephesians 5, 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, the will of the Lord is always good and perfect and acceptable. Is that right? Now, we're going to learn something more about God's will. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So how, when the darkness comes, do you respond properly? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. How is that filling with the Holy Spirit of God manifest? How does it demonstrate itself? Verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, 
even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by what? The Word. By the Word. Now look at where it starts. Be filled with the Spirit. That's the will of God. Walk worthy of that, submitting to yourselves one to another, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. How is that going to happen? By the washing of water, by the Word. The Word of God will help you to walk worthy of this so you'll know how to behave. That's what the filling of the Holy Spirit is. How many of you see that from the text? Well, how do we get this filling of the Holy Spirit? How does this happen? When we're in this dark time and we're praying, God, what are we supposed to do? How do we pray? The Bible says that we pray and we ask amiss because we we don't pray for things according to the will of God. How do, we, how do we do this? Colossians chapter 3, and verse 16. Let's look at verse 15, Colossians three fifteen, And let the peace of God... What does it say there? What does rule mean? It means to have control, to be in charge. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called. Do you see that calling again? So having that peace of God rule in your hearts, that's being obedient to the calling to walk worthy. Does that make sense? That's all part of it. How do we do that, though? How, does, how is that accomplished in our lives? Well, here you are. And be ye thankful. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there's no respect of persons. So now, now look at what we've just seen. You're in that dark time. How are you going to respond properly? That's when the Word of God has dwelt in you richly, where you have established patterns of behavior in your life, patterns of obedience in your life, not because you're a good person, 
but because the Word of God is doing its work in you. That's demonstrated by your walk. You're walking worthy. What, how do you walk worthy? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to husbands. Children, obey your parents. Have a right attitude. Be thankful in everything. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Having a right spirit. When you are grooving those behaviors, well, then when the hard time comes, those grooves are established. And they take you immediately to the source of help. They take you immediately to the source of peace. They take you immediately to the source of joy and love and help. And that's the God who deserves glory because He is good. We've got to understand the power of His Word. All believers understand the power of the Holy Spirit, or we try to comprehend it. We are aware of the significance of the power of the Holy Spirit. Where we have fallen far short is understanding where that power comes from. It comes from letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You must be studying this Word, meditating on this Word, believing this Word, living this Word, trusting this Word. Then when the evil comes then you know who is good. See, that's what the Apostle Paul was praying. Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, chapter 1, and verse 11. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness, and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God getting glory isn't primarily based on your behavior. God getting glory in you is based on His grace in you. His grace working in you and through you. As you learn to walk worthy as the word of Christ dwells in you richly. Then when the persecution and the tribulation comes, then, go back to verse 4, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulation that you endure. Do you know what happens when you've been walking in the word? Then when the trouble comes, you know what the other people in the churches say? Look at her. God is so good. Look at him. God is so good. Nobody, nobody can act like that when in, in this kind of trouble. God is so good. Wouldn't that be better than when people see you in trouble, they say, I knew it wasn't real. I knew it was just a passing fad. You see... Trouble in your life, though it may be evil, is an opportunity for God to demonstrate His goodness. Because God is good. Folks, many of you are going through hard times right now. You are in trouble. Some of it is just the process of life. Some of it is the process of sickness or other issues. Can I tell you, 
something to remember? If you only take one thing home from you today, God is good. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. His will is good and perfect and acceptable. And if you'll trust Him, if you'll believe Him, you know what will happen? Even that thing that you're in will work together for good. Let's trust Him. Let's believe Him. Let's believe His Word. Let's believe in the power of His Word. Let's establish the behaviors in our lives when life is good so that when life gets hard, we know exactly what to do. Amen? And then God is glorified by us and in us and through us, even in the time of persecution and trouble and tribulation. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. And Lord, I confess to you right now that my default response is not believing that you're good. My default response is, why is this world so bad? Why did this happen? I hate it when this happens. Lord, my default response must be that you are good. Help me run to you, Lord. Father, there are people in this church right now, in this room right now, who are struggling. They are having problems, whether it's sickness or whatever. You know exactly the situation of every person here. Lord, help us to run to you. Help us to hold on to you. Help us to remember that you're good. Help us to exult in your glory. Help us to rise above these issues, these troubles, though they are serious from a human perspective. Help us to rise above them and see your greatness, your goodness, your power through your word. Make it real to us, Lord. Help us through experience to know your goodness, your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.